You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. All right. Well, let's pray as we jump in. We're going to talk about fellowship and gathering today. So let's pray together. Jesus, we're grateful that we can gather and fellowship with one another. We're grateful that as the body of Christ, certainly we are called to do that. And so today, as we look at what that looks like here in the life of the church, would you lead us and guide us? Would you guide our every conversation, our every thought uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit? And we pray all this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so when I say fellowship or gathering, what comes to your mind? What do you think about when you think about fellowship? Food. Food. Man, that's a good southern boy right there. Uh, Food. Yeah, what else? Fellowship and gathering. Party. Party. Yeah. Connection. Community. Okay, good. Um, There's a Greek word that uh, that we use uh, in Scripture, that's used in Scripture for the church or gathering, it's often uh, referred to as the gathering of the church. It's called ecclesia, and that is the church. And oftentimes when it's referred to in the New Testament as the ecclesia, you see it surrounded by folks gathering together and fellowshipping together. There often is a breaking of a bread together. There's, there's meeting of the needs together. We're going to get to some of those things in the book of Acts, but you got it all right. You know, there's food, there's there's fellowship, there's meeting needs, there's, there's really just being in community together and fellowship. Um, so that leads to the next question I was had before we dive into Scripture is, what is the purpose of the church? What's the purpose of the church? Bring us closer to God. Okay, certainly, absolutely in there. Reflection of God and God's love for His people. Okay, good. Okay, all good answers so far. Not really a wrong answer, I don't think, unless you really go off the rails. <laughs> so far, so good. Uh, uh, the, so the church, I think, has, has, has what I would say five real, real purposes of the church. Worship, fellowship, discipleship. Um, that's probably the, I'll stop there. Those are really kind of the, the three main things that I would say are, are the purpose of the church is to worship, discipleship, and to fellowship together. And, of course, then we can kind of get the parameters of going and meeting the needs, so mission or outreach and things of that sort that we can kind of tie into those as well. Um, but the purpose of the church that we're going to see today and we're going to talk about today, the, el- the element or that, that I want to focus on today is, of course, fellowship and uh, gathering and that I think we've got a couple proof texts today that we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10 so if you got your Bible I think it is around 860 in that Bible maybe 865 in the Bible in front of you uh, Hebrews chapter 10 starting verse 23 and just while you're turning there the book of Hebrews if we had time to look at the whole book of Hebrews uh, we would find that the book of Hebrews is very much a guideline for the church I think in worship uh, it, it kind of fits in a liturgical setting, which, which really fits with us. Uh, I think it can also fit in outside of liturgical settings as well when it comes to how do we worship the King, Jesus? How do we, what do we do uh, by way of keeping our minds and our eyes focused on Christ Himself? And so in chapter 10, verse 23, we have the writer of Hebrews giving us some very specific directions on what it looks like to be the church. And he says this in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he 
who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Ties in really well with uh, the Revelation passage of the day drawing near. That's, that's where the Hebrew writer is saying the day of the Lord is drawing near as that draws near. What are the important things for us as we carry out the work of the church? What are important for us to do? And so I just want to kind of break it down a little bit as we talk about uh, fellowship and gathering. One of those is to hold fast. Do you catch that at the very beginning of verse 23? Let us hold fast. And what are we holding fast to? What does it say in there? The confession of our hope without wavering. So if I had to say to hold fast to your confession, how would you define the confession? What does it mean? Well, I mean, what are we confessing that we're holding fast to? Any ideas? Our faith in Christ. That's right. So the gospel, really. I mean, if we're thinking about the gospel, uh, the writer of Hebrews... And I, I say the writer of Hebrews, by the way, because we don't really know who wrote Hebrews. There's some ideas out there. But we'll just say the Hebrew writer, uh, they call him the preacher, I think is the way he's termed in the book of Hebrews. Um, but the preacher here, the, the Hebrew writer, is saying, I want you to hold fast to the confession without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And so this confession he's drawing back to, what is it that the disciples in the first century church, what was their confession? Now, we often think about in our confession, or at least in our context, we think of the Nicene Creed, right? Let us, you may hear us say, let us confess the words of the Nicene Creed. Uh, or the Apostles' Creed. And if you were in the refectory, we did a baptism today. We used the portions of the, the <coughs> Apostles' Creed in the baptismal confession. We call it the confession. But those were not in existence when the Hebrew writer was writing. Uh, the, the Nicene Creed was not written until 386. So we got a long time before we get to 386 from the time of, I won't say a long time, but you got several hundred years from the, from the time that the Hebrew writer's writing this. And so the confession he's referring to is not the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. It's actually the confession of the disciples who were then carrying on the confession of Jesus as Lord. And so when we gather, when we, when we get together as the church, one of the main things we do in gathering is that we hold fast to the cornerstone of our faith, which is Jesus Christ Himself. An acknowledgement of the true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. An acknowledgement of the fact that we're sinners in need of saving. And then clinging to that sure promise. And that's where He says here, without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. What is He faithful to do? He's faithful to meet us where we are. He's faithful to forgive us. He's faithful to come alongside us in our confession to strengthen us, the church, so that we might continue to fellowship and gather. And so uh, that is, of course, Jesus' shed blood on the cross that gives us the confidence and the faith to be able to do the very things that He's calling us to do. And look at what the result is. We just said it here. Jesus is faithful to His church when we hold fast. Um, I don't want to throw any church under the bus, and so I'm not going to use names, but I think we could all probably think about a church that is not, quote-unquote, gospel-centered. They're, they're not preaching the gospel in the pulpit. You know, maybe it's a, a health, wealth, and prosperity kind of gospel, or it's, a, it's, it's some other uh, kind of thing that is, not, that is contrary to scriptural understanding of the gospel. And I believe that if you were to, and, and I think you can see it when you see that church or when you hear about those churches, 
That is not God blessing those churches. That's actually Jesus pulling away from that church because they're not being faithful in their confessions. They're not faithfully saying, we believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in what He's done. And so the result of faithfulness to the gospel and to gathering and worshiping in the church is that Jesus is faithful to His church. He will hold fast, hold us fast together when we confess Him. Now that doesn't mean, again, if you were in the refectory, Mike talked a little bit about this in his sermon, it doesn't mean life is going to be grand and glorious and wonderful all the time. And there's no persecution, no trouble, no nothing. No, what it does mean that in the midst of those things, that Christ is faithful, that He doesn't waver in the persecution, in the trials, in the suffering, and even when the church itself is being attacked. Jesus is faithful in that because we hold fast to the confession and our hope is in Him. And then after that, he, so He's building on this. So we've got the confession that we hold to, the gospel confession that we hold to, and the promise of Jesus that if we hold fast to the confession of the gospel, He is Lord, He is Christ, He has forgiven us of our sins, and we have been made righteous even though we're not righteous. What does He say to do at that point? And let us consider how to what? Stir up one another to love and good works. How do you do this in the context of fellowship and gathering? How do you stir one another up? I mean, I think about, I'll give you an illustration of what it's not, what He's not talking about. I have three boys. They like to stir each other up all the time. And it's all for good. Most of the time, it's all for bad things. Like it's all about how, to, how can we compare ourselves to one another? Uh, hey, my bike's better than your bike. I'm like, it's the same bike. I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, I, you know, y'all have the same, they're just different sizes. But why, why does it matter what, you know, or my baseball glove's better than your baseball glove. I'm like, this is, we're ridiculous. Why are we even, you know, or, or one of them will look at the other one and stir them up by saying, hey, you know, we're not going to have anything to eat tonight. You better eat all that food for lunch. I'm like, why would you even say that? That doesn't make any sense. We're going to have dinner tonight. Uh-uh, we don't, we don't know. I'm like, now you're just stirring stuff up that doesn't make any sense. They like to stir each other up just to see if they can rile one another up. And nine out of ten times it works, by the way. Our house is chaos most of the time because one of them will say something that will stir the other up and you're like, I don't even know how we got here. Like, this is ridiculous. So that is not what the Hebrew writer is talking about, stirring one another up. Don't just go stir the pot to get people uh, riled up. What is he saying, though? How do we stir one another up in love and good works? What does that look like for us as the church? Encouraging, yeah. Yeah. I say challenging one another. Mm-hmm. It's a really good one. Like a positive challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always try to redirect my kids to that. I'm like, hey, That's what, we're trying what, to do. what would it look like <laughs> instead of comparing yourself to the other one to say, hey, you're really good at that. And just stop there. Just encourage. Hey, you're really good at that part. Um, they then always go, you're really good at that, but I'm better. Um, you know, so, well, we halfway there. You can't put on your dress by yourself. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. She'll catch on to that eventually, right? Um, yeah, challenging one another. And I would also put in the challenge, discipling, walking alongside one another is stirring one another up. And so uh, finding that person who, who you can read Scripture with and pray with and be accountable to, those are stirring each other up so that, you know, when we confess to one, hey, you know, I lost it today. I, was, I got angry when I shouldn't have got angry. You confess that to one another and, hey, I've been there, done that. You know, God, 
God's grace is sufficient for you. You're stirring one another up in those ways. Yeah, challenging or discipling. Walking in life with one another. I mean, just, just walk in life, just being there with one another, stirring one another up and challenging one another, caring for the other's needs. Somebody is in the hospital. Somebody's family member's dying. To come around and to, to support and to be the church together, to stir one another up. Now, you probably know this, but you could come to the Advent every week on Sunday for probably the next 10 to 15 years. You could come to church and you could walk out and never be known by anybody and nobody ever know you because we're a big church. And so you sit in the back, nobody knows who you are. Or you could live into what it looks like to be in fellowship and gathering with one another so that we are stirring one another up and not just being a member of the church, but you're saying, I'm going to do life with others. And that's where Fontaine's hugely helpful in finding you a place where you can do life with other people through a small group. But most of us don't like this. So this whole stirring one another up to love and good works, I mean, let's be honest. If we're, if, if we're being really truthful, we're saying, yeah, I don't really want anybody to know who I am fully. I don't want to really let my guard down and know who people are. I don't want them to know what my struggles are. Uh, I'm okay sharing my successes a lot of times, but I certainly don't want them to know where I've fallen short. Um, And we don't want people to know that we struggle. So the real part of this stirring one another up is that it's messy. It's messy because life is messy. And so when we get into the process of, of really gathering and fellowshipping and being a church together and being in one another's lives, then we enter into each other's mess and we say, I'm willing to sit there with you in that. I'm willing to sit in the mess and we're willing to live life together. And that's where it gets a little difficult and a little challenging. I have a little illustration that I often use with groups who gather together. One of those, it, you know, you're, you're, it's kind of this forced if you not forced, but a desire to, to gather together as believers. And so everything's good. He's kind of like on the, the small group honeymoon, if you will. Woo-hoo, everything's great. And then you start to do life a little bit and then things get messy. And there's this little avenue that you can get off on called the pit of despair. Because you're like, oh, it is way too much for me. I can't get that messy. I can't be that vulnerable. I can't get into people's lives like that. And oftentimes what I see people do is that they'll get in that pit of despair and say, small groups or living life or being in community with one another where we gather in our home and, and really fellowship and gather, uh, it's not worth it. And so I'd rather just come. And that's what I think is I would absolutely discourage you against is not to just come because just coming is not actually living into what the Hebrew writer is saying and what we as a a church would say is our desire for you. And that's not a selfish desire. That is a desire to see you grow in faith. And I believe that fellowship and gathering is part of that. So um, coming and uh, and being part of that healthy church, I think, is important. Um, Now... Sure. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I wouldn't say, I would say there is some fellowship that happens in Clingman Commons, but where you really get authentic fellowship is what happens in times where you're in smaller groups than that. I mean, you may see people in Clingman Commons, how you doing? How was your week? That sort of thing. But that may be a super, like you said, a very super awkward thing. Whereas if I go to somebody's home on a Thursday night and we share dinner together, 
and we talk about our kids together, we open the Bible together, we pray together, we know the struggles of each other, then that feels a lot better than walking into um, you know, a place like Clean and Commons where there's hundreds of people trying to get coffee. And usually, not always, but usually those conversations are, hey, how you doing? Doing good, good to see you. Okay, talk to you later. You know, that's kind of a superficial. Now you can certainly get deeper than that in Clean Commons, but oftentimes in that environment, you're not really, uh, what I would say, experiencing authentic fellowship, which is that authenticity of really getting messy with people and just getting in their lives. And, I would, and we talk about challenge, you know, challenging one another. I, it's like we met in, in the commons, and I would just say challenge to just say hello to somebody and mm-hmm. like introduce yourself randomly. Like yeah. You never know sure. who you're going to meet. So I just, yep. you know, it's, but that's, you know, everyday life too. I mean, I'm sure. Just trying to get out there and say hello. But mm-hmm. it can be and that's easy, for, that's easy for those who are uh, more extroverted and outgoing, which... Eric, um, uh, <laughs> Eric is certainly that. Uh, I know that about Eric, and, and having met with him last week and having a good conversation. Uh, but I, I mean, and then this is not to say anything bad about my wife, but she's an introvert, so she that that space to her is like oh, it's super intimidating. Don't want to do that. You want to come to my house and hang out? Yes, let's do that. Um, but meeting somebody in that environment, oh, you know, it it it's overwhelming. Not to say that she won't do it, but she would say, that's not my preferred method there. Uh, I'd rather rather gather with people. Um, and so let's think about this. We've kind of just talked about it, but in the context of our worship setting, let's say, um, and we'll do some hypotheticals, let's say Clingman Commons is not there, or let's say there's no option for um, gathering for coffee. Now, we try to be intentional about how we do that, but in worship, how are you how are we experiencing gathering and fellowship in the context of our worship time on sunday um what and and it looks like this i would say uh in confession time for me is it how many how many times have i come to church and i've zoned out I've, i've been in church but maybe there's something on my mind i'm distracted by something something's going on at home Something got to me while I was driving here. Something, you know, for you guys, something at work is bothering me. Uh, I got this big, you know, presentation, whatever it might be. Uh, And how many times have we come to church, we sat in church, and me personally, I've come and said, sat through the whole service, walked away and gone, I don't think I paid attention to anything that just happened. Like, and I'm up front, you know? (laughs) You're going... I feel terrible. I don't have a clue what the sermon was about. I don't remember even the words that I said, and I was the one that said them on the paper, you know? Um, And so there's an intentionality that has to happen when we come to worship. And in that intentionality, yes, worship happens, but that it also breeds fellowship and gathering together. And the way that I believe it does that is when we engage with our time in worship. So we're really, let's say we're taking notes and we're paying attention to the sermon and, and we're, we're really, um, you know, taking in the words of the hymns or the songs that we're singing. And this week, I'm going to be intentional and say, hey, you want to grab some lunch this week to talk about what we just uh, heard on Sunday? There's fellowship and gathering. Or in Cleman Commons, the possibility of saying, man, that sermon, uh, that, that one part of that sermon really got to me. What did you think about that? And taking just a minute and a half, two minutes. You're then cultivating what a healthy church looks like to be in fellowship and community together. 
uh, grabbing the coffee, taking somebody to lunch afterwards and engaging with those things. And again, that requires you uh, being checked in when you come to church on Sunday. And I get that that's not always the case, but we, we, you know, that's the things that we strive for. And then I want to flip to Acts chapter 2 because um, I think it gives us a really healthy picture of what it looks like to be in fellowship and gathering together. And so this is the, this is the thing that I would say we strive, I strive in my own life, in our own family life for it to look like this. And Acts chapter 2, verse 42, I don't remember the page number. 780. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. It's the end of the chapter. (coughs) Would somebody read 42 through 47 for us? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Okay. So much here that we could talk about. We don't have time to talk about a ton of it, but I want to just kind of hit in on the high points here. First of all, you see the people of God gathering together in ways where they're fellowshipping together, they're worshiping together, they're sharing life and experiencing life together. And what we don't see in the midst of this passage right here is that the messiness that, that we all know is there. We would be naive to think that they ever that they never disagreed with one another, that they never got on each other's nerves, that they never hurt one another's feelings, that they that there was not this this need for reconciliation, which I'm gonna come back to in just a minute. Um, but what we do see in this is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship of breaking of bread and prayers. And so there's uh, there, there's a a gathering around of worship. They worshipped the Lord together. They gathered together in one mind, in one heart. We go back to the Hebrews passage where they they held fast to the confession. I think we could probably interject that there. They held fast to the confession of the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and the prayers together. So they're, they're, they're being consistent in the way that they gather together. And then it says, And awe came on every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So as they were holding fast, as they were being... Um, consistent in their worship of gathering together, loving one another. And, and you're going to see here that it was not just in the synagogue, which would be the equivalent of the nave, but it was in the homes that they also gathered. And so there was consistency among their lifestyles of gathering together in different ways, but being consistently together. And when they were together, all came on every soul. I love that phrase. All came on every soul. That, that means that there was this, we never thought that it could be like this kind of feeling. Um, because the, the people of God were being the people of God together the way they were supposed to look. Uh, and if you've never experienced that before, it is, a, it is a beautiful thing. Again, it's messy and it can get frustrating at times. But man, is it beautiful when the people of God can gather together and say, wow, look what God is doing in our midst. Look how great God is. Look how faithful God is even when everything's not going great. 
look how we, and, and you can talk to some of our small groups that meet and they can tell you the very thing, same things. You can talk to people who gather in their homes and have worship together and, and study scripture together. And you can see where they can say, and all came, come, you know, people, oh wow, I didn't know it could be like this. That's what they're experiencing. All came on every soul and many wonders and signs. Now that's a fascinating one too that we don't have a ton of time to get into, but in the consistency and in the messiness and in the faithfulness of being together and gathering around God's Word together, breaking bread and praying together, God was doing something great. There were wonders and signs. Now we know from other parts of Acts that the wonders and signs, people were being healed of their sicknesses. Um, I have to think that you know, uh, struggling marriages were being restored. Kids were being reunited to their families that were being, that were distant. You know, all those things that we think about that, uh, but when we are faithful, God begins to do a work in the hearts and lives of the people. And so they were being done through the apostles. And so the apostles were seeing the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, move throughout the faithfulness of the church. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now again, that's where I would say, I guarantee you they didn't agree on everything. They didn't have, you know, you, you bought too much at the market and I should have bought more at the market. You didn't, you know, you didn't buy enough crackers for the gathering today. Whatever it might be. I guarantee you they had some sort of disagreements going on. But they, were, they had all things in common. And what, what I believe that the writer, uh, what, what John was saying there in the book of Acts, um, was that, he, that the people of God believed enough that they were faithful enough that when they gathered together, the important things of God were in common. We believe in Jesus. We know that we're supposed to be faithful. We know that, we, that we're unrighteous and He's righteous. We know that He is the Savior and therefore He calls us to go and to make, uh, in, in Matthew 18, to go and baptize and make disciples. And so they believed all the very staples of the faith that Jesus had taught the apostles. And they were willing to go out and to do what He had called them to do. And so... Because of that, they sold their possessions and belongings and distributed the proceeds among many. So they began to meet each other's needs. Where are our needs? What needs can be met? Uh, one of the fascinating things about the church is that if the church is being the church in a healthy way, then when needs arise, the church takes care of the needs of others. That's a beautiful thing. I'll give you a, a little quick story. There's a, uh, a church up in Michigan that they meet in their home and they gather together in their home in this home church um, they had um, they had a new family that had come in, or a new guy, a new it was a single guy at the time had come and started worshiping with them, and then he started dating this girl, and he was, they were acting like they were married. You guys know what that means. They were acting like they were married when they weren't married, and so the small group or the church said, "Hey, we think you should get married because it seems like that's the right thing to do." And this is not the way God has a plan for you. And we don't think from Scripture that you're really living into the plan. And they looked at him and said, okay, let's get married. So they wanted to get married. Well, then two weeks later, they found out that they were pregnant before they could get married. Uh, and so the, the church, the home church there said, okay, without, without condemning them, without casting them out, they said, okay, well, we should probably move quicker then with the whole marriage thing. Um, uh, let's have the wedding in our backyard and we'll host the whole thing and we'll do the reception. And this, little, this young couple didn't have a lot of money, but this home church, this gathering of the church said, we'll pay for everything. 
And so they met the needs of this couple. And then uh, nine months later, they had a baby and the baby had some health problems. And what was fascinating about this church was the church began to put out word to other churches that, hey, we have some, some, we have a couple here that their, their child is, has got some major medical needs and they can't afford it. And what ended up happening was the church in that city, all around that city, began to contribute to the needs of this young couple and paid for every single medical benefit or every single medical need that this child had. That's the church loving one another. That's the church gathering in fellowship together and meeting the needs of one another in such a way that awe comes upon people because they're going, whoa. I want to be part of that. And so our authentic and, and rich fellowship and gathering together, what, what, what we see here at the end of this passage, and day by day attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food in glad and generous hearts and praising God, having favor with all the people. That's how they had favor with all the people because they were being the church and they were loving people the way that other people were going, well, we want to be part of that kind of love. We want to be part of that fellowship. We want to be part of that kind of gathering together where we're actually important and we are loved and cared for. And so that's our desire for you here is that you would get connected in such a way that you feel like you're loved and cared for and that you're experiencing authentic fellowship and gathering together. And then the last thing is, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is a direct result of what healthy fellowship and healthy church and healthy gathering and healthy worship all looks like is that people look at it and they go, I want what they have. I want to know the Lord the way they know the Lord. I want to come and, and be part of what they've got. And so many were saved because of it. Uh, they came to faith because they saw a healthy thing happening. And then the last thing, as I'll close today, is Matthew 18. And I'll just read this for you. You don't have to flip there. Matthew 18, 20. It's just one verse. It says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And so this idea of gathering together, it doesn't take a lot to gather together, two or three. Now, I will say that oftentimes we, we'll take this verse out of context and use it for the purposes of gathering. And I don't, think it's, I don't think it's wrong to say when two or three are together, certainly the Lord is in our midst. I think we can guarantee that every time. I would even go so far as to say when you're by yourself, the Lord is in your midst. You don't even need two or three to gather. But the purpose of this, which is interesting for our purposes, is that it's in the context of a reconciliation verse. Jesus actually is teaching what happens when you fellowship and gather and worship and become the church together and it gets messy and you hurt one another. He says, how you go about doing that, how you go about reconciling that is you gather two or three together and you go to somebody so that the purpose of being reconciled as the church so that we look like the church, so that we're not holding grudges towards one another, but that we are actually forgiving and reconciling and worshiping and fellowship together. What a beautiful picture of what it looks like to be the church together. That's what we desire for you. That's where I would say, use Fontaine as a resource and say, hey, where can I get connected? Um, you're certainly welcome to come to me and then I'll just direct you back to her. <laughs> um, so, um, but, uh, but I hope that that makes sense to you. I hope that that's a desire that you have. It's certainly a desire for us, for you. So that this is, uh, this doesn't, it's not just, hey, that big church downtown that I attend, but hey, that's my church because I'm connected with people and I'm living life with them on a regular basis. Hope that makes sense to you. Any questions, comments, thoughts before we close?
Again, you're welcome to come talk to me, email me, come talk to Fontaine. As a thought, um, that it's interesting it came up in Hebrews that uh, about the fellowship first, but God set up the Sabbath so we meet together with ritual and all of that once a week. Mm-hmm. I mean, we meet with our family every day. It's very hard to understand and listen to our family a lot of the time. And the, one of the many reasons we do it once a week for the Lord is because it is a little different, and you're much more likely to listen to what people are saying. And if you don't, you got the ritual stuff to kind of shock you out of it. Yeah. There's many a time when a hymn suddenly snapped me out of whatever I'm thinking of. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where it's being engaged, trying to be faithful to be engaged when we do gather together. Um, and and it, it may be that you have to consciously do that. You get here and you're two hymns in and go, okay, now, now I'm going to pay attention. <laughs> right now I'm listening to this hymn right here. I'm going to pay attention to what it says. Um, yeah, that's, I, and we talked about prayer a couple of weeks ago. That was, that's me in my prayer life sometimes. I'll be praying and I'm off in la-la land because I've forgotten something. I got, okay, well, got to get back. Now I'm going to pray. Now, now I'm going to be faithful to, to pray about this. Um, All right, let me close this in prayer. Jesus, we're grateful, thankful for all that you're doing. I'm grateful for these folks around this table. I I do pray, God, that that they would engage and and get connected with the body, your church, in such a way that they experience this authentic fellowship and gathering that we see in Scripture. And so, uh, God, would you just open the doors for that to happen and give the desire. And, Lord, as we walk into messiness with other people, God, would you just be the one who, who lives in the messiness with us. And we just give you thanks for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.